This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. All right, we want to continue our Bible study tonight in the book of James. And so if you turn with me to James chapter 4, I'm going to uh, pick up where we left off. And uh, we are, are basically in verse number five. And we have been, this, is, this will be the third uh, Wednesday night we have been in verse five. And we've been concentrating on one word in this verse. It's an amazing, I believe, study, a word study, because it brings out so much more than just what seems to be on the surface of this text. So if you have it in James chapter 4, we're going to read in verse number 5 and uh, get into the study of it. Well, in this one passage of Scripture, there, there are what I believe to be some uh, fundamental doctrines, and I want you to look at it. The Bible says in James 4, 5, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us, lest us to envy. Now, if you're taking notes and you have been in the last several weeks for this one particular verse, the word that we're focusing on in the study tonight is the word dwelleth. And I want to reemphasize uh, some very important aspects of the spirit the Holy Spirit of God. By the way, there's only one Holy Spirit. And when, when the word is talking about being indwelt by the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit, it's not the same thing. There are two different aspects of the Spirit. When a person becomes born again, they become saved. Um, they are redeemed they are immediately indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit overshadows them in such a way that he takes possession of their body. He takes possession of their being. He takes possession of their soul. And to be indwelt with the Spirit, this, this takes place one time in a person's life. Here's what we believe about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a real, live, divine person living and dwelling in the heart of every single believer. And when a person becomes born again, the Holy Spirit of God comes into them. Now, unfortunately, we're not able tonight to go back and retrace all of those scriptures that pertain to that. And that was some good teaching. And to be filled with the Spirit is something that we have to participate in or willing to be used of the Lord in such a way that the filling is a necessity for every single day. It's just like sanctification. We have to be sanctified every day, justified one time. But we're sanctified. We need to be. And what what is the purpose of being indwelt? When a person is indwelt by the Spirit, it signifies or it 
testifies of the fact that, yes, we have been born again. We believe in the eternal security of the believer. We believe that we're saved one time. And so when a person is indwelt, the Spirit of God comes in and inhabits them. Being filled with the Spirit constantly results in our need, our daily need, to have the power of the Spirit in our lives. And, and that's, that's the purpose of being filled, that the Holy Spirit of God would give us power. You remember what the word says? You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we need power in our life. The scripture says, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. You, you know the scripture. We need the spirit, the spirit's filling in our life every single day. And basically, this filling that the word of God talks about, the apostle Paul said, be you filled with the spirit. The filling is empowerment for us to be greatly used uh, for the honor and glory. But you're only indwelt one time and you can never be undwelt. It's just like this. Um, you were born into your family. There's no way in the world you can be unborn from your family. It's impossible. So you are born into the family of God. The spirit of God comes into you. He indwells you. That makes you a believer in Christ. But to face the challenges of each and every day, because every day is different. Sometimes we, we are on the mountaintop and sometimes we're in the valley. Sometimes we're fighting battles and sometimes battles fight us. And there's a constant need. I mean, you think about this. If, if we just gave and gave and gave and gave until we were all given out, we would be really useless and powerless for the kingdom work. God has to rejuvenate us. He has to fill us. He has to uh, restore us and refresh us. And that's, that's part of the aspect of the filling of the spirit. But I want to share with you tonight, I want to go over, we've, we've been studying some of the aspects, the attributes of being filled with the spirit. And I want to rehearse those real quickly, what we have already talked about, and then pick up on a couple of new points with it tonight. And so as the Holy Spirit lives inside of the believer, and that's what we're, the scripture calls the indwelling of the spirit. The spirit of God, he brings about some life-changing results. And uh, one of the things we talked about is that the indwelling, and all of this pertains to the indwelling of the spirit, not being filled with the spirit, but being indwelt. That's why I wanted to make the distinction between the two. But the indwelling of the Spirit comes to a person who is without Christ. And when, that, when the new birth takes place, the Word of God teaches us that the Spirit of God quickens us. And uh, that is the new birth. And John spoke about that in chapter 3, verses 1 through uh, 8. And then secondly, we talked about the indwelling of the Spirit. And that confirms to the believer that we belong to the Lord and that we are an heir of God and a fellow heir of Christ. And that is in Romans chapter 8, 
verses 9 through 17. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the indwelling of the Spirit that installs the new believer as a member into the family of God. And so let's take our Bibles tonight. Let's hold our place here because we're going to come back to it. And I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Find that place with me. I'm going to turn just as you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want you to notice this uh, in, let's go to verse number 12 and pick up there. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and I want to read that in verse number 13 as well. The Bible says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so all. By one spirit, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. There is one body of Christ, one body. All right, so by one spirit are we baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So when you become born again, you are baptized into the body of Christ by the spirit of God. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to to keep that in perspective here. Uh, Number four, real quickly here. The indwelling of the Spirit helps the believer to understand and apply the Scripture to our daily life. You know, here's the thing. If, If all we had was a Bible, we didn't know anything about it from Genesis to Revelation. Say it was a family Bible laying on your coffee table and it was there for decoration. And you acknowledge, oh yes, I have a Bible in my house. But if you didn't know what was in that Bible, you couldn't appropriate it to your life. You couldn't apply it to your life. So how do we we know what's in this book from Genesis to Revelation? You just shouldn't just take my word for it. This is why we have to study the word. We have to get into the word, study the word to show ourselves approved unto God. So there is a resemblance to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 12. So let's turn there. You're already in 1 Corinthians, and I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 12. And so what are we talking about, preacher? The indwelling of the Spirit helps the believer to understand and apply the Scripture to his daily life. We, we have to know what's in this book and how to apply it to everyday living. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want us to look at verse number 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. And here's the thing, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. When Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, Jesus told them some very important things to go along with that. He said this. He said, I've got to go. I've got to go back to the Father. He said, but if I go, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send the comforter. And Jesus went on a little farther to define what that comforter was going to do. 
Jesus said, he will guide you into all things. So the Spirit of God opens our eyes, opens our hearts to the word. And that's, that's a huge element of where I come in as your preacher, your pastor, your teacher, is to help you to understand with, with more clarity. But the Spirit of God is the one, notice this, that we might know the things. How do we know them? The Spirit of God reveals them to us. And he helps us to understand those things that are freely given to us of God. All right, so let's move on to something else here. Number five, the indwelling of the Spirit enriches the believer's prayer life and intercedes for him in prayer. So let's go to Romans. And I have referred to this passage of Scripture many, many times. And I think it's probably one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. So take your Bibles tonight and turn with me. They'll get it on the screen, by the way, if you'd like to read it here. In Romans chapter 8, and I want you to notice in verse number 26 and 27, a, a tremendous passage of Scripture. And, we, and, and, of course, verse number 28 as well. But tonight I focus on verse 26 and 27. The Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. What is an infirmity? It's something that we're struggling with. It could be emotional. It could be physical. Uh, it could be a spiritual battle. Whatever deficiency that we are experiencing in the family of God, whatever the infirmity may be, to where it's, it's almost paralyzing, it puts us in a position to where it's hard to think. It's hard to process situations. It's hard to make decisions. Have you ever been in a place where your heart was just so heavy? It was overwhelmed. You've been hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually, maybe all of these things put together. And have you ever been in a position or in a place where you were so overwhelmed with any one or all of these kinds of emotions that you were all, you felt spiritually drained or you felt like you did not have enough strength to pray. I, I've been in those situations before. Maybe you have been in a situation like that where you have experienced these emotions or all of these emotions at one time and you felt like you were hurting so bad you have cried yourself to sleep so many nights that you just didn't have any more tears to shed. Or that you couldn't put your finger on another verse that you hadn't already looked at a dozen times. And you had poured your heart out to God so many times you actually did not know what else to say. You found yourself in a spot where you were hurting so bad all you could do was just bow before his holiness and you didn't know what to say because in your pain, you thought you had already said it all. You couldn't phrase another sentence. You couldn't say another word. You couldn't put your finger on another verse. But look at this. When you get into a predicament like that, this is one of the attributes of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. Likewise, verse 26 the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Whenever you get into a place like that where you are blown away with the troubles and the cares of life and you feel paralyzed, you don't know how to phrase a sentence, you don't know how to find another verse. Maybe you can't even quote another verse. You've said it all. 
Here's what the Spirit does. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. You find yourself at times in life where you don't know how to pray. You don't know how to pray another prayer. The Scripture says this, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. What does that mean? It means that when you are so overwhelmed with troubles and problems and you don't know how to pray anymore, you feel like you, you, you can't shed another tear. And not that prayer should be built upon emotion, but this is the, the honest uh, assessment of life. Life is not good. Life is not fair. Life comes at us in all kinds of different ways. And we find ourselves hurting so many times in so many vulnerable ways. We just can't phrase the prayer. We don't know what else to do. We've already prayed the prayer. We've prayed it a dozen times. We don't know what else to do. The Bible says, here's what the Spirit does. When we do not know how to pray, when we are so overwhelmed like that, we don't know how to pray. The Bible gives us the blessed assurance that one of the attributes of the Spirit is this, that the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. That means this, that when we don't know how to pray or when we cannot pray another prayer, the encouragement of the scripture is this, don't give up because the Spirit of God is praying for you. The Spirit of God is intercession or interceding for you. Notice this, maketh intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. We couldn't, we couldn't phrase it if we tried. But God the Holy Spirit can. And then verse 27 really puts the light on this when we don't know how to pray. And he that searcheth the minds or the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I can assure you of this. When you don't know how to pray, your heart is broken. Your heart is weary. You're overwhelmed. And you can't put it into words. The comfort that we have in the scripture is this, that the Holy Spirit will pray for us. And he knows exactly what we're going through and he can communicate it to God the Father and God the Son in perfect harmony, rhythm and rhyme. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. All right, so that's precious. Let me move on here just a little bit. The indwelling of the Spirit gives evidence of new life by producing the fruit of the Spirit. So, so take your Bibles with me tonight and turn to the book of Galatians. And I want you to see this. This is, this is a classic passage of Scripture in Galatians chapter 5. And uh, I want to pick up with verse number 22. This is talking about Christian character and Christian character is produced by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Christian character is not produced within ourselves. We, we are nothing. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But the Holy Spirit helps us to produce a Christian character. And so look at this. This is a, a very compelling passage of scripture and you have probably referred to it many times. But the scripture says this, but the fruit of the spirit, this is what the spirit does for us. 
The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. So tonight, I want us to go back to James chapter 4. And having said all of these things that derives from one word, and that word dwelleth, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us? And so when the spirit of God comes into us, when we have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, by one spirit are we baptized into the body of Christ. What the Holy Spirit does for us is miraculous. It's phenomenal. And so these are some things we just get from one word tonight. And I hope that's been a blessing to you because here's what I want you to think about. Whether you're being born again, you are indwelt by the Spirit or that you are filled with the Spirit. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, he wants all of us not just some of us. And what I mean by saying that, I'm not talking about a select group. I'm talking about you as a person. The Holy Spirit wants all of you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. Not just some of us. He wants all of us. And there's a passage of scripture that I made a footnote here and I want to reference it real quick here. It's in Matthew chapter six, verse number 24. And if you're taking notes, maybe you're even writing in your Bible, write this passage in the margin of your Bible, Matthew six twenty-four, 24, um, because there's, there's a compelling statement I want to make with this thought in this passage. But the verse says this in Matthew chapter six, verse 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And here's the, here's the significant statement and I want you to get this. It comes right out of the scripture. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is talking about money, but let me say, let me emphasize this. You cannot, you cannot have two masters in your life. And it comes down to this. Stay with me now. Get this statement here. When it comes down to the truth of the matter, you cannot serve two masters. And if that's a hard choice, you cannot serve two masters. And if that's a hard choice, which one will I serve? Then you really don't know who Jesus is. Let me reemphasize that. The Holy Spirit wants all of us, not just a portion of us. He wants all of us. And we know that we cannot serve two masters. And so anything else, the word says, seek you first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, 33, and all these other things will be added unto you. So if we're, if we're having a very difficult time with this thing about putting him first, seeking him first, and we're really wrestling with this thing. Which one do I want to serve? Which one do I choose? You know the question Joshua asked. 
Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. The, the choice was very simple for him. But if you're wrestling in your spiritual life and you're coming down to this question, which one will I choose? If that's difficult, then you really do not know who Jesus is. Because if you knew him like I knew him, you would understand that the issue would be solved. Now, James goes on, all of that in one verse. We spent three weeks in one verse and one word. Now, let's move on to another aspect in verse number six. And this was precious in my study. I hope that it'll be precious in yours. Look at this. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You've read that passage of scripture many times. And here, James is turning, I believe, to the uh, secret of spiritual virtue. By the way, in this passage of scripture, James is actually quoting from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse number 34. If, if This is what I'd like for you to do just for a quick moment. Keep your place here in James, chapter 4, verse 6, and Put your finger on the verse, and I'm going to let Brother Justin in the back give the scripture from Proverbs. Proverbs 3.34 says this, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. So James here in James 4.6 is referring, he's quoting Going all the way back to the Proverbs, he's quoting this passage of Scripture. And in this passage of Scripture, as he writes, the thought behind that is this, that Solomon was trying to warn his son against the wrong choices of friends. And believe me, friends will either pull you up or pull you down. One of the two. But the key word here in this passage is grace. Because I believe grace is the secret to a virtuous life. Once we're saved, listen to this. Once we are saved, we cannot outrun the long arm of God's grace. It's totally impossible. Grace is the driving force behind salvation. Justification is the driving force behind sanctification. Sanctification takes place every day in our life. It's like being filled with the Spirit. Every day in our life, we need to pray the prayer, Lord, set me apart from the world. Renew my mind. Help me to follow the Spirit. Help me to do His will. Help me to honor you in all that I say and all that I do. So grace helps us in the new birth. Grace helps us to live, but also grace is sufficient for when we're dying. I was reading this particular verse just today in Psalms chapter 116 and verse 15. This is what the scripture says. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And the only way that we can get to a place where we're saying that, praying that, thinking that, feeling that, when we're standing in the swelling of the Jordan, it's because of God's gift of grace. Now, I want you to see this also in this passage, James 4, 6, because it's the security that God offers us. 
But this passage of scripture is not just talking about grace. Look at this. He giveth us more grace. Do you remember what he told Paul? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For by grace are you saved through faith. But it's a wonderful thing when God nudges you along a little bit and gives you more grace. But not only that, look at this. Not only is the subject of grace taught in this passage, but the word says, wherefore he saith, and this ought to perk us up a little bit, God resisteth the proud. I want to talk about that just for a few minutes tonight. Have you ever done a study on your own to look in the scriptures to see where or who, who was better put, who God resisted? That's, that's a pretty strong statement. The word of God is clear right here. God resisted the proud. I made a list of my own self and I wrote down some names of people that I just thought about whom God resisted in the scriptures because that's a terrible place to be if God's resisting you. But I jotted down these names. God resisted Cain in the scripture who invented the world's first false religion, by the way. God resisted Nimrod as he was the chief architect of the Tower of Babel. God resisted Pharaoh. God resisted Nebuchadnezzar. He resisted Haman. He resisted Herod. He resisted Balaam. He resisted Belshazzar. He resisted Alexander the Great. He resisted Napoleon. He resisted Stalin. He resisted Hitler. It's a terrible, terrible thing to be resisted by God. And the word is talking about that. And so for anyone to receive the grace of God, here's what we have to do. We have to lay aside all pride and come to the cross as a repentant sinner. We cannot come to God arrogantly. We cannot come to God full of pride the word of God teaches us that we have to come repentant. All right, in verse seven, let's look at that. Let's move on with the scripture. Submit yourselves, therefore, this is a familiar verse because the issue of verse seven, we, we often quote the second half of this verse. And, and we all know this passage very well. How many sermons have we ever heard about it? How many times have we ever heard somebody teach about it? We, we get this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we, we get the second half of this, but very seldom do we put the emphasis or our attention on the first part of it because the first part of the verse clearly sets the tone for the rest of it. So look at this. The Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God. That's, that's very important. If we just lean on the second half of this verse, I believe the devil in spiritual warfare will mop us up. Because here's the thing. The devil is not 
the least bit afraid of you and I. Not even remotely afraid of us. Because here's the thing, the devil is a whole lot more clever than I or you will ever be. He is a whole lot more stronger than you and I will ever be. He, he is a master of deception. So you think about that. If all we say is the latter part of this verse, resist the devil and he will flee from us, then spiritually speaking, we're all toast. If that's where we get hung up. But we have to get it right. If we're going to win spiritual battles in our life, then we have to get the first part of this verse right. Look at it. Submit yourselves to God. If you do the first part of this scripture, the other will fall in its place. Submit yourselves to God. Because when you submit to God, that changes everything. Everything. And we, we have to, here's, here's how this works. We have to be willing to submit to God. You remember that song we sing on Sunday mornings from time to time, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Worldly pleasures are forsaken. Here's the thing. We have to be willing to yield everything. We have to yield our burdens, our heartaches, our sorrows, our weakness, our health, our service, everything you can think of, everything about us. We have to be willing to submit it to God. And when we surrender it to God, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Okay, I get letter A or number one, number two or letter B, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We've got to put ourselves under the wings of the Almighty. Psalms chapter 91 verse 4 says this, He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.